Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. So the book of Joel is all about restoration. It's about a, a literal swarm of locusts that devastates the entire landscape of Judah, which is the, when the, the nation was split in two after Solomon. The northern side was Israel. The southern side was Judah. Um, and Jerusalem is in Judah, which makes Judah kind of the home center. Um, and, and so we see the swarm come through Judah we see that the, that, um, the prophet puts a lot of prophetic significance on this swarm of locusts, and then he compares the, um, on the, the incoming attack from foreigners to be like an army of locusts. And so he's got this prophetic vision of what the locusts look like and what they do and the devastation that comes. Uh, we see that there's four types of locusts. Uh, each word for locust was a little bit different, and we kind of looked at, all right, what, what were those four things? And then as we go through this process in the book of Joel, we begin to find out that God wants to bring restoration. He has a plan to restore the land. He has a plan to restore Judah and Jerusalem into the glorious place that God intended for it to be. So from this book, what we've been gathering are some, some simple truths, some simple keys, some simple ideas that, that I think are important for us to look at in our own lives today and wonder whether or not these are things that or processes that we should be involved in when we look at, God, you want to restore this region back to its original purpose and destiny. Would you agree with that statement? I think he does. I think that God's plan for this region is much of what Mika said, that it's a, huh, what happened there region? Huh? What? How's that even possible? Cool testimony. We hired a new executive director at the housing agency, and he's a thousand times more skilled at building affordable housing than I am. And he's done it. He's got tons of experience and he's got vision. And he's already running way past where I thought I could go. That was my prayer. Stepping out of that position that God would take it to a different level. It's going to a different level. We're sitting down having a conversation and he says, yeah, I really think that Sandpoint in North Idaho is going to be a place that people come from all over the world to go, huh, how'd they fix the housing problem? That's his words. I'm like, yeah. Right? God's, God's desire is not for us to hole up in a cave to wait for his return. He's never, never said that. That is 100% a theology of fear. That is not a theology from the scriptures. So, we choose... To believe, actively believe, that what God is doing in this place is revealing His glory, releasing His power. Everywhere. Everywhere. 
Boy, it's really interesting. With no sound panels in the back, the echo is pretty like, whoo, it's there, you know? I uh, can't wait for next week. God's plan is bigger than what we've seen, and, and, and I think that the process that we see in Joel is really a good one. And, and you might want to ask yourself as I talk through the different portions of, of these, uh, I'm just going to review everything that we've talked about real quickly, and then I've got a couple points for today. But the, the thing that I'm, I'm just reminded of is that there's a different place each of us are in in the process of restoration. Okay, now, like much of this can happen in a moment, and some of it requires time. Some of it can happen in a moment, but some of it requires time. Who's the God of time? Yahweh. He's the God of time. Time isn't an issue for God. It's an issue for us. Come on now. So let go of your timeline. God's got the timing. He's got the timing. And God operates in appointed times, not opportune times. The devil, it says that after, after Satan tempted Jesus, it said it left him until he found an opportune time. This is how the devil works. He waits for everything to line up before he jumps. God says, no, I've appointed a time, and it will come to pass. So relax on your timing. Relax. I feel like that's such a word for us. Come on, if you are feeling pressure around time, you, we've got our faith in the wrong space. Whoo, just receive that. If our pressure is on time, we've got our faith in the wrong place. He's the one who does the work. He's the one who makes it happen. All I got to do is show up and partner. Come on, Holy Spirit, what you got? Where are we going? What's happening today? Here we go. Right? God's more focused in our next step than our destination. <laughs> He's focused on our next step, not just our destination. So oftentimes we will not take our next step because we are afraid of the destination. It's too big, too daunting, too crazy. Or... We want that destination now so we don't take the next step. How many of you know sometimes the next step requires something of you that you don't want to give? Which is usually why it's the next step, because he's Lord. And anything that's taking place of his lordship, he wants that gone. Amen? Come on, it's not like, it's a partnership. It's not, like, it's so fun when you start walking this out with the Lord. All right, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you um, eight weeks of review very quickly. All of these sermons except for one are online. Okay, the one that didn't make the cut because of technical difficulties was the fifth week. All right. So first, um, we see in the book of Joel, in the first section there, that there is a repentance that needs to come, and we need to feel the pain 
of the brokenness and the devastation of the locust. We need to feel the pain of sin. We need to feel and mourn over all of the things that have happened that have been broken. God wants us to partner with his heart. How many of you know that the Father's heart breaks when there's brokenness and sin and pain and heartache? It breaks his heart. That's why he sent Jesus. Do you get that? Like he, he sent Jesus because he didn't like it. And sometimes we like to go, la, 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 I don't see the bad. No, God wants us to look at it and mourn. Look at it and be grieved in our hearts. Not that you have the power to change it. He just wants you to feel the pain. Why? So that we can come to him and say, God, we need you to move. If we don't feel the pain, it's really hard to pray according to his heart. Some, some of us, like Jim, might, might even feel the pain to the point where you just weep over it. Good. Don't shy away from those moments. Because those are the moments for me when God has moved me like that, that that thing gets so burdened in my heart, I can't let it go. I can't let it go. So don't avoid it. Let God burden your heart. Amen? The next week we talked about what is repentance. Because there is a process of repentance, which means to go back to God's ways. Come back to God's divine order. Come back to how God established a thing to be. It's not about beating yourself up. It's not creating yourself a whooping post. I, I'm, I'm going to write a little booklet called You Can't Be a Better Christian. Because... So many people, so many people beat themselves up and they're in a constant state of repentance because of, of something that they did that they missed or something that they, and they feel like, oh, I got to repent. I got to become a better Christian. No, you're in Christ or not. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. There is this relevant identity that we need to grab into our hearts. That's repentance is saying, God, I agree with what you've said about me. Instead of listening to the lies of the devil that make me want to be this big, you've called me a mighty man of God. I remember getting that word. Arlen Keller came up to me one Sunday morning and said, hey, mighty man of God. I'm like, you don't know me. I am not a mighty man of God. Like, you're crazy. I'm full of garbage. He called it out. Boy, that that's, has steered my ship. Because he called out something I couldn't see. So, you can't be a better Christian. You can just be in Christ. Amen. And then it's only, because it, being a Christian isn't about performance. It's not about the dues. It's about being with a person. It's about walking with Jesus. So instead of being a better Christian, how about I just be with Jesus? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right. We have to repent and come back up to God's ways. Thirdly, we need things to come into divine order. And there's really something that they talk about here in Joel about seasons, right? About divine order in God's timing and in his seasons, okay? Uh, one of the things that is really, really cool about God is that when he sets something in order, it's perpetual, the seasons don't shift. The seasons come and they go, and we know every winter's a winter, every spring's a spring, every summer's a summer, and every fall's a fall. We don't ever have to wonder about God's cycle. Like it just is. 
right? And so sometimes we live in a state of confusion because we're in the middle of winter praying it's summer. We're in the middle of winter asking God for summer to come and flourish because we're too cold. And God's like, hey, I gave you logs and some newspaper and a fireplace. Go get yourself warm because my season ain't changing. <laughs> right? Come on. So one of the things that we talk about with divine order is that we need to learn how to align ourselves with God's season instead of asking God to change the season. Right? So, God, where are we at? What is the season that you have for us? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But what is the season that we're in? Because this season is required for whatever he's doing. So instead of asking God to change the season or, God, I don't like the way this is turning out, we can stop all that business and just come to the Lord in the midst of a, a season that we don't like. And guess what? If it's uncomfortable, you got to go closer to Jesus. Instead of asking him to change the thing, maybe you get more intimate with the Lord. Maybe you say, God, I don't know what's going on here, but it requires more of you in me in order to get through this thing, so come, Lord, right? And instead, we, we grumble and complain like Israelites in the wilderness because Egypt was better and the promised land is too far away. Let us embrace the seasons of God. We talked about how God will help you make peace with your losses, right? Is that in a famous verse, God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. We've always taken that in reference to time, right? Like, like the years that the locusts have eaten, this restoration, like God is either going to restore the timing of it or he's going to restore everything that was lost during those years. But the word restore there means to make peace with. It's bigger than just getting something back because that's about this world. Oh, just receive that. Even in God's restoration, we can be so selfish that we're asking God to restore that thing that we think is going to make us happy. How about all of our happiness comes from Christ with or without that trinket? God's happy if you love a trinket and he doesn't mind giving you the trinket. And yet, the restoration that he's talking about here is to make peace with the years. Make peace with the lost time. Make peace with the relationships that were broken. Make peace with everything that was lost in that. And God is the only one who does that. Right? He wants to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. So what does the locust eat? Well, the locust can eat anything. It's the deadly effects of sin. All right. So God wants to restore the years that the locust has eaten. Now, I'm not... We're praying that God restore inheritance in our life. But we're completely resting that in the Father's hands. We don't have to do anything about it. Nothing. Lord, you, your perfect timing, your perfect will, we trust you. We're asking for this. That's it. That's it. God, we believe that you want to do something with that. So God, I'm asking that you do something with that. And if he gives us a whisper on something we need to do about that, we'll listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit and do something, right? I never want to get to the place where I can't hear God well enough in whispers that he's got to hit me over the head. 
Amen? So we listen to the whispers. And so, you know, when God gives us something to do, we go do it, right? So I, I, think, I think so often God is interested in restoring the years, and he's interested in even restoring inheritance and restoring all of the things that have been stolen by the devil. He really is. But let me tell you, if you're pursuing God for your trinkets, you missed it. Is that a good word? If, you, if, you're, if you're pursuing God because you lost something and that you just need God to get you that thing back, you might miss the point of coming into the presence of the creator of the universe. Right? Amen. Then we see um, this classic passage in Joel chapter 2 that... The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. So we want God to empower us. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit. These are those days. We live in that day. This is that day. Because the Spirit being poured out has never stopped. It wasn't like, I'm only going to give it to two generations and then we're done. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. What is biblical is that he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he talks about a generational line of outpouring. And then we see that Peter, when he quotes this in Acts, he says, this promise is to you and to your children and to all, say all, who are afar off. That's down the line. Right? So, we know that God wants to empower us and fill us with his Holy Spirit. One of the things that we also have to keep in mind, which was week six, is that we let God be the judge. We don't have to take judgment in our own hands. We don't have to navigate revenge or justice. or We don't, no. The justice of this world fails to God's justice. Every time, every time, every time. And justice is a very popular word today. Let me just say this. God's justice is not the world's justice. It is not. How wild is it that God says, my justice requires mercy? Whoa. Oh, yeah, mercy, that triumphs over judgment. Whoa. Wait, you mean that we serve the God, who God whose justice is redemption instead of punishment? We serve a God whose justice is to take the broken and make it whole? His justice is to take your failures and turn it into glory? Instead of shaming you publicly to get you to be quiet? That's not God's justice. God's justice is redemption. Hallelujah. So, we need to let God be the judge. We need to entrust all of the outcomes to the Lord. Right? And then um, we talked a lot out of um, this passage in uh, Joel chapter uh, 3. 
about the reality of going to war because he uses this phrase which um, is used actually to the opposite um, you know he says turn your swords into plowshares and your plowshares into swords it's used differently in each context in Isaiah and um, in different different places throughout scripture but I, I love that passage where it says prepare for war wake up the mighty men let all the men of war draw near let them come up beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears it is time to allow the labor the plowshare and the spear the things that we would use to partner with the land to produce something right these things our hands our labor right all of that stuff those things need to become weapons of war they need to become the things that transform the world around us we have to get out of this I'm holier by being out of the world no he wants you to go to war with what he's put in your hands and take your plowshare and turn it into a sword and go to war for lives and for souls in the kingdom right where he has you planted right where you are now this is a next step thing quit putting off ministry at work because it's not the ministry you think God's called you to Amen, hallelujah. We utilize our labor as kingdom work. Now, Ed Savoso says it this way, more people spend time at work than any other activity in the world. It's true, across the globe. Every culture. People labor more than they do anything else, more than they sleep, more than they spend time with family, more than they raise kids, you know, like, more than they, the, the labor. Work is the primary activity for humanity. Why do we treat it as if it's a secondary thing to God? Labor is worship. If we can do it all unto the glory of God, it is worship. Amen? I feel like that's a really big key for the next season. Because... If we, keep, if we keep thinking that we've got to come out of the world, we're, we're missing the world. And you might have great encounters by yourself, but the people around you need great encounters. So carry your private encounters into the public place. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, last week, we looked at the manifestation of restoration. We began to look in verses, uh, in Joel chapter 3, verses 18. Verse 18 is all we looked at, and we found three key points, because there are six distinct markers given in the prophetic writing of Joel that is a sign of God's plan to restore the land, to say, listen, we know that the land restoration is coming to pass when we see these things happening. Okay, the first one that we talked about is that there's an overflow of blessings as a byproduct of an abundant supply in the land, right? Because he says, uh, the, it will come to pass in that day, the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk. Listen, we know that in that day, we have absolute confidence in that day that God is bringing it to pass. We don't have to worry about the timing. Remember, God's the God of the timing. Because things happen in his appointed time. He's looking for us to partner with him for his appointed times. Okay? 
Now, the mountains dripping new wine and the hills flowing with milk has everything to do with our partnership with the fruit of God's created supply, the grape and the cow, <laughs> right? You get milk and wine from two places. They're now God-given natural supply. How we partner with that, with his natural supply, will immediately affect what kind of abundance flows out of it. And we'll see that when God's restoring the land, not only is the supply abundant, but the fruit of the partnership overflows. So in real life terms, what could that look like? Well, I think one of the ways it could look might be, I'll just take Mika's practice, for example. Might be that not only is, her, is, is that there's, for her, the supply that she needs, right, that's a natural supply, are patients, clients, right? So these patients come in, she is working with these patients, they're seeing supernatural transformation, supernatural healing happen through her practice, okay? That abundant overflow of God fruit coming out of a natural supply of what's in the region is, might be how that looks for her practice. So let's look at somebody in construction, okay? You gotta have land, you got to have materials. You got to have. You can relate this all into your personal life. I think about Tom with the with his auto repair. He needs cars to work on. Or he might not like cars to work on. Actually, you know, he might prefer stoves or you know whatever. But but the reality is like those that abundant supply of things to work on and things to to do turns into a place where a new supply actually flows out of that ministry. It flows out of you partnering with people. Now, there's a heavenly flow coming out of a car shop. And there's an abundance coming out of it. There's an abundance coming out of it. Because we're taking what we have right here, right here, and we're watching God transform it right in front of our eyes into something that is a spiritual overflow. Is this making sense? Okay. Then the other thing that we talked about last week was that all of the seasons play their part. We will embrace God's seasons because we'll actually look for strong, hard winters to provide an overflowing brook in the summer. We can embrace the seasons that we're in. I think this one's really a fun one here because when we have a good hard winter, we get to ski a lot. You know, I mean, there's good benefits to being here all year round, even breakup season. People just got to drive a little slower, you know? Some. Some. Paul. We know restoration is here when we sense deep fulfillment in each of the seasons. Deep fulfillment in each of the seasons. A healthy winter provides overflowing brooks. Lastly, we talked about the river that flowed from the temple. The body of Christ is positioned for the glory of the Lord to manifest, and the river flows from his glory in the church. There's, there's actually a life-giving flow of water that flows out of the seat of worship where we minister to the Lord and we see revival breaking out and things coming to life because of who we are. That's actually a sign of restoration in the land. It's not just about being filled with the Spirit. It's that there is this sense 
that everything that we begin to touch gets healed. And we looked at Ezekiel 40 through 47 at the temple picture there. And then we also see it again in Revelation, this, this picture of this river of living water that flows. Jesus talks about it in John 7. Now today we're going to look at three more characteristics of the manifestation of restoration. We're going to look at freedom and bondage. Freedom from bondage, the removal of opposition, and occupying the land with his abiding presence. Joel 3, 19 through 21, says this from the New International Version. But Egypt will be desolate, Edomo desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. Let's look at this first section here. I want to talk about Egypt will be desolate. This is freedom from bondage. Egypt throughout scripture is often inferring the season of bondage, a season of slavery. God will manifest restoration through a dramatic release of those who have been held in emotional, mental, relational, financial, and spiritual slavery. Do you know what desolate means? It means deserted of people and in a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. The bondage, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, all of those things are going to be deserted of people. Woo! A desolate place. In that day it shall come to pass this is what it looks like when the restoration happens. People getting set free. People getting set free. Freedom. Freedom. Free. They're encountering God and they're being set free. Lord, start with me. Right? Can we become a people to pursue freedom? Will we be a people that says, I, I'll, I'll start with me, God. Any area of my life where I'm in bondage, I want to be free. I want, I want Egypt to be desolate in my life. Amen? And we got to get hungry for that. We're too easily floating around wondering why God isn't present in our lives, wondering what's going on, and it's because we've been shackled to something and we're unwilling to get rid of it. It is season to put it all on the line. Now, the next section says, And Edom is a desolate wilderness because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land, but Judah shall abide forever. This is the removal of opposition. Now, Edom is a very interesting place. This is actually um, the land of Esau, okay? Because um, the Edomites were actually the descendants of Esau. We know Esau was the brother of Jacob who became Israel, right? And Jacob deceived Esau, right, and took away his birthright, okay? So there's some family stuff happening here, okay? There's family stuff happening. Uh, we see that, I, I have a whole teaching on the missed opportunity of reconciliation that Jacob and Esau had an opportunity to have. Remember, Esau's coming, and Jacob's afraid that he's going to get murdered by Esau, 
right? So he sends, like a real champ, sends his kids and his wife ahead of him. <laughs> Here's all the camels. You want the camels? Don't kill me. Here's the kids. You want the kids? Don't kill me. Not good. So he shows up there, and Esau embraces him, kisses him, and like, man, I've missed you. I've missed you. I miss you. Let's bury this hatchet. Esau says, come with me. Come with me. Imagine what we could do together. There's this beautiful moment where Esau says, hey, I'm burying that thing. Let's go together. Let's build what, what, what could possibly happen. Jacob's like, nope, nope, nope. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Nope. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Pulls himself totally out rejects the offer from his brother whom he had offended and hurt. Rejects it. And I think as, you know, we deal with our own shame in different ways. He dealt with it by staying isolated. I don't know anybody like that. So that's, the, the relationship part is really important because the, the issue with Edom is about family opposition. And we see it later on in Numbers chapter 20, where, where um, the, the spies come back in Numbers 13, and they get the bad reports, and then they get two people that give a good report, Joshua and Caleb, and then they get condemned, like you, this generation is going to die in the wilderness. You got 40 more years, and then, then you guys are done. Generation's going to die. Okay, so then... They're wandering around because they got to kill time. They come up to Edom, the nation of Edom, and they make a request to the king of Edom. And, and this is what it says. Moses sent messengers to Kadesh. This is Numbers 20, 14. Sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. Isn't this interesting? We, we've come out of bondage. The previous point. Just When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through the fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Pretty reasonable ask, right? Like we're not even going to drink your water. There's two million of us, but we're not going to take a sip. Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. Whoa. Do you know that, that Moses started off, thus says your brother Israel. Thus says your brother. No, opposition right? Opposition. So the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. 
Then he said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. He brought his army to say no. Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Listen, Edom and Israel are brothers, family. There is an opposition from family to enter the promised land that comes through these familial family relationships. And I think it's important to understand opposition will shift, and we're going to see generational curses and vows be broken, and the opposition to destiny will be removed from our families. Because, listen, Edom becomes a wasteland. <laughs> Edom becomes a wasteland. That opposition actually gets transformed and changed. Not only was there opposition, but there was a threat placed with it, right? With bringing the army out. During the time of Joel's writing, Edom was known for two things, rebellion and violence. God's wanting to restore the destinies of families. And the opposition, rebellion, and intimidation is going to stop. The intimidation to speak the truth is going to stop. The opposition will stop. The battles that you fight are going to be di very different when restoration begins to happen. And we just declare that over, over you. We're going to receive that in just a moment. All right, the last thing, of course, is verses 20 through 21 here in Joel that um, basically um, says... Judah shall abide forever, Jerusalem from generation to generation, right? I'm going to remove from them the guilt of bloodshed. I'm going to forgive Judah of all of their sins. I'm going to abide with them from generation to generation. I'm going to abide in you forever. And it says the Lord dwells in Zion. God will make it right even with our own sins, our own errors, our own mistakes. God will make it right. God will dwell, abide, and cohabitate with his people. We know that we have the spirit within us, but it's different when God inhabits in a city, a region. That's what he's going for here. Amen? Amen. Will you stand? We thank you, Lord, that you are removing bondage, that you are setting people free. You are setting people free right now. Father, I thank you that we can start with us and say, God, if there's any area of our hearts and minds where we have been enslaved to a lie, enslaved to things, or enslaved to those deep needs that we don't feel are met yet, we come before you right now. We ask God, please come and set us free in Jesus' name. Bring your healing and bring your freedom in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that bondage will be a deserted place. Father, I ask right now for every family relationship where there is frustration and difficulty and opposition, where there has been opposition 
to the will of God, to the working of the Lord, where there has been opposition against the gospel, where there has been opposition against the freedom to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Any of these areas of opposition in the family, God, I am asking right now that you come and you flood these families with your goodness. Right now, in Jesus' name, that you come in power. And Father, I'm asking that there be a dramatic restoration in these families. That where there has been opposition, there becomes freedom to receive the holy word of God. There becomes a freedom to receive love where we have not been able to receive it in the past. God, there is a freedom to speak the truth in love without fear of intimidation or violence, without fear of the pushback or the blowback that can happen when we are honest about who you are. God, I'm praying that you prepare hearts to receive the word of the Lord in our families and that the fruit of our life would make a way. The fruit of our life in you would make a way for our families to come running into your presence. And Father, I'm asking right now this morning that you would bring your presence into this region that it would be tangible and palpable, that it would be powerful and real. God, we're asking that your presence change everything, that your presence change everything that we touch. Father, we thank you that when we look at restoration, we see that, God, where your people go, life goes. God, we see the fact that when we work and we labor, there is a fruitfulness that overwhelms us. This partnership with our labor that causes your glory to flow, causes abundance to move. Father, I ask right now that you would give us the ability to wait on you, to seek you for these breakthroughs. God, we bless your name today. We glory in your presence. We declare that you are good all the time and everything that you do is good. All that you are is good. And we love you. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.